Welcome to Our Weird World. I'm your host, John Henson, and this week we are returning to uh, the paranormal and talking some more about aliens. I know we had like two episodes of it uh, back in October talking about it, but you know, like, here's the thing. Um, It would be stereotypical of me with my uh, autism to be very rigid And say like, no, we're only doing paranormal topics in October. But no, I'm being very flexible. And I am, you know, throwing caution to the wind there, I guess. I don't know, man. I just, it's, it's, it's how it came out. Honestly, like there wasn't a whole lot of thought put into it. I was like, what kind of topic am I going to do for episode number 149? Hey, I've got a bunch of stories still left to talk about aliens. Let's do that. And so that's what I did. I don't even know why I'm defending myself to you people. It's not like you're paying me to get the, I don't know. Whatever. Who cares? We're looking at three stories this week. Uh, Stories of Gordon Cooper, Robert Taylor, and our first story here of George Adamski, who was born to a Polish family in 1891 in Bromberg, which at the time was part of the German Empire. I don't know what what part of the world it is now. It's not really important to the story, honestly. Um, and that's because his family quickly immigrated to the United States, started a new life in New York city. Uh, George eventually joined the U S cavalry regiment and fought during the Pancho Villa expedition after Villa's attack on the New Mexican town of Columbus. Um, after that, he got married in 1917 and then just kind of worked various jobs around Wyoming, California, and Oregon. Uh, he also started dabbling with the occult and quickly gained the reputation of being just a really charismatic, strong leader. And he started to kind of amass this following and he would kind of teach this mix of Christianity and other Eastern religions that he called universal progressive Christianity. And like, look, here's the thing. It doesn't, this doesn't have to get political, but, uh, the majority, I think of, uh, Christian, at least like modern Christian thought is aligned with the right. But like, ironically, like if you look at a lot of what Jesus taught, like Jesus was very left leaning, at least socially. Um, so like when you put terms like progressive in front of Christianity, then you're going to, you automatically know that it's going to have some non-traditional elements to it. And if you are able to pick up on context clues, which I would hope you are, um, the you would you would know that the non-traditional things that Adamski was trying to include in his Christianity had to do with aliens. 
Um, so in the 1930s, George began the Royal Order of Tibet and was actually given a religious license from the U.S. government. Um, and this license granted him the freedom to make wine for religious pur- uh, purposes, which during Prohibition allowed him to make a fortune selling his religious wine because he would just sell it to anyone who wanted it. Um, when prohibition ended though, he needed to figure out something else to do in order to make money since everyone now was making their own wine, which was probably better than his. Um, so he moved, he and his wife moved to a ranch near Palomar mountain in Southern California, uh, where they continued to study religion. He continued to kind of mold his universal progressive Christianity platform. Uh, and they also started a farm. And on this farm, George built an observatory where he would just give these long-winded, just mind-numbingly complex philosophical lectures to this small group of followers that he had on a regular basis. Um, Then, on October 9th, 1946, George and a group of friends were watching a meteor shower when they saw a cigar-shaped aircraft. Uh, If you remember... Back uh, in October, uh, the Chiles Witted encounter described kind of a cigar-shaped spaceship. That's just you know, it's interesting. Who knows, guys? Um, the craft then reappeared the following year, uh, and George actually had his camera on him and took a picture of it. However, that picture is next to impossible to find. I haven't found it yet. Um, and then that summer... Uh, along with the return of that cigar-shaped craft, he claimed to have seen 184 different uh, UFOs pass over his property in that in one evening. Um, was it a, just another meteor shower? I don't know. Um, when the news of this encounter got out, he started giving lectures to various organizations throughout California, and he started charging for his appearances, um, you know, because I look, he needed to make money because he wasn't gonna he wasn't gonna have like a regular job, you guys. Um, and so then, because he's doing these presentations and these speeches, he starts making like super bold claims, such as like the government officially recognized UFOs in 1945 after tracking a 700 foot long spacecraft beyond the moon, which didn't happen. Um, he also said that all of the planets in the solar system were inhabited. Not true. And that the canals um, on Mars had been discovered and they were very clearly man-made. Also not true. Um, On November 20th, but see, look, I mean, like this is in the 1950s, early 1950s. You can't fact check people when they say stuff like this. Like you can fact check it now because we have the Internet. Back in the 1950s, anybody could just get up on stage and you basically had to believe them because you still had faith in humanity to kind of vet the people that uh, kind of got into some sort of position of authority, right? And so you just had to believe whatever. And that is probably why we have so many problems today because there was just, we as humans have lived for centuries, without any kind of fact checking whatsoever because we were you know for a while there we were illiterate and we just had to listen to what people told us and then even when we got the ability to read uh we, it was you know what were we going to do right like 
we're not going to actually read the Bible or the constitution or, uh, all of the other historical documents that we could to fact check what someone was saying. Nah, we still took them at their word. And even today, even today, it's, it's mind boggling how many people will just listen to what a politician or a preacher or any sort of other speaker says and just was like, yeah, that seems reasonable. I totally believe everything this person was saying. And they don't use the internet to fact check them. Like, I don't want any of you listening to just blindly believe everything I say. Like, I'm flattered that you trust me, that I'm not going to lie to you. Or at least when I do lie to you, I admit it. But just like, yeah, like if I say something that sounds crazy, go look it up for yourself. Like, I think all of my stuff is factual. Like, I'm not over here purposely trying to uh, deceive people, but that's exactly what everyone else would say. So how do you guys know I'm not making up all this stuff as I go right now? Because none of you have ever heard of Georgia Domsky, right? I could just be making up this whole story as I go. So it's like, you know, so like you could, but you could fact check me if you want. Anyway, I don't know where I'm going with that. I'm just... I just kind of had that aha moment like, oh, yeah, that's why society is insane (laughs) seemingly all of the time, because no one no one takes the time to learn things on their own anymore. So anyway, where were we Uh, on November 20th, 1952, George and a group of friends were out in the Colorado desert when they saw uh, what looked like a submarine flying through the sky. Uh, George then somehow made the leap that the ship was looking for him so he broke away from his friends and and found like a secluded area out away from the main road where a smaller scout ship came out of the the bigger uh aircraft that they had seen and and landed near him and then the pilot of this little ship came down and introduced himself as orthon a blonde-haired tan-skinned human-like creature um, and this is, this is exactly what the story is. Um, Orthon began communicating telepathically with George and warned him of all of the dangers of nuclear war, which was really convenient messaging, uh, considering the United States and Russia were like in the middle of detonating the most powerful nuclear we- uh, weapons they could make in that moment. Um, Orthon also refused to be photographed because of course he did. And instead Uh, basically just asked for a blank photographic plate, like those old, uh, like, I think they were like steel or aluminum plates that people used to use for, you know, photography. And so George, George apparently just had these on his person and gave Orthon one. And so Orthon took the plate and returned it the next month with just this variety of strange, unrecognizable symbols. And he handed it to George and then just got back on his ship and was going to leave. And as Orthon flew away, uh, George actually took a photograph of his ship, of Orthon's ship. And this picture actually can be found in a lot of places. Um, However, uh, skeptical people or just people who can think critically uh, argue that George's photograph is just an up close picture of a surgical lamp. And if you Google uh, Georgia Domsky UFO, uh, it's one of the first images you'll see. And yeah, 
Like you will not see a spaceship. You will just see an old timey, like 1940s surgical lamp because it's exactly what it was. Um, George, however, he continued lecturing and producing quote unquote official documents from the United States government purporting their admittance and acceptance of UFOs, um, which eventually got the attention of the FBI because uh, they were and they were not super impressed about it. The government, guys, if you didn't know, the government does not like it when you um, pose as them. It's very illegal, you know, to pose as like a police officer or a CIA agent or an FBI agent. Uh, so the government told George to cut it out. George did not. Um, and in May of 1959, George was actually invited to the Netherlands to meet with Queen Juliana. Uh, despite several requests from the Dutch courts and cabinets to cancel that meeting, uh, Queen Juliana actually went through with it. And um, according to the Dutch Aeronautical Association president who was present for this meeting, Juliana was just bought in completely to George's story. Uh, three years later in 1962, George revealed that he would be attending an interplanetary conference being held on Saturn. Yeah, sure. Um, in the next year, he claimed that he, at Orthon's request and, and at the request of other extraterrestrials, um, needed to hold uh, a private meeting. Or sorry, he did hold a private meeting uh, with Pope John the the uh, 13th and had actually received a golden medal of honor from the Pope. Um, people, of course, like at this point, like people were like, no way, dude. Like that definitely did not happen. Um, especially because the Pope actually came out and was just like, Hey, I did not to give it this guy at a medal of gold that you think he did. I don't know why all popes sound Italian because they're not like, I think the Pope right now is a guy from Argentina. And so of course he's not going to talk like that, but I don't know. Pope is living in Vatican city inside of Rome. I'm going to do it. Um, where are we? Uh, skeptics also, uh, examined the metal because of like George was just like, like George has spent over a decade at this point, just fooling all kinds of stupid people who believe every single thing they say. So he's getting more and more, uh, bold with it. And so he's, he's like, he presents this metal. It was like, Hey, Pope John the 13th gave this to me because I had a meeting with him because that's what Orthon and a group of other aliens told me to do. And, um, skeptics, uh, and, and authorities actually took the metal from George and examined it and, um, discovered that it was nothing more than like a commemorative coin that George had gotten from like this gift shop in Milan. Um, however, for the next few years, George continued to lecture and speak, um, by now the, I, you know, there was this whole circuit of people who had claimed to be abducted by aliens and they were all kind of talking to each other, doing their own presentations. Um, and after, but after giving a lecture in Maryland in 1965, uh, George suffered a heart attack and died. And George was actually buried in Arlington national cemetery. I think cause I think cause he did like serve, um, some military time. And I think if, if my, I think I, someone explained this to me, like when you serve in the military, like you can choose whether or not 
you want to be buried at Arlington if you end up dying in combat or whatever, something like that. Well, apparently George did and he, you know, checked that box. And so that's where George's grave is. Our next story here uh, is of Gordon Cooper, who was just the manliest of all men, right? He was an engineer. He was a test pilot. Uh, he was the youngest astronaut to participate in the United States first manned space program project Mercury. Um, he piloted the longest space flight up until that point in 1963, uh, in which he spent 34 hours orbiting earth a total of 22 times. Um, and because all of that was just like super easy for him, like he had no problem with this whatsoever. Uh, he then flew as the command pilot of Gemini five, which was an eight day mission that sent Cooper around the earth 120 times and proved to NASA that people could survive a trip to the moon and back. But before all of that happened, right? Cooper claimed that he had an encounter with an alien spaceship. Um, in 1957, Cooper was sent to the experimental flight test engineering division at Edwards air force base in California on May 3rd, he and his crew were setting up a precision landing system that included a camera that would take pictures at one frame per second to capture a landing aircraft. And that just is, sounds like the most archaic technology ever. Cause like our phones can do 60 frames per second now. And like in 1957, they're using futuristic technology going one frame per second. Um, after returning from a break, two crew members, James Biddick and Jack Geddes, told Cooper that they had seen a strange saucer-like craft that made no sound when it landed or took off. Um, Cooper, like, he's a super logical guy. He's a super handsome guy. He's also a nice guy. And so he took these guys seriously, um, mostly because like their entire job dealt with new experimental aircraft designed by the government. So like if it was a top secret government project, they would have known about it. But this is something that these guys said that they had never seen before. Um, Biddick and Geddes told Cooper that this saucer appeared above them and then landed about 50 yards away by extending three legs down to the ground. Um, but as the two went out to investigate and they got closer, the saucer quickly took off and disappeared. Um, both men actually produced a film reel that they claimed contained pictures of the craft and uh, Cooper sent their report up the chain of command. Um, there was a general who has conveniently been anonymous, uh, remained anonymous throughout all of this, uh, ordered that the film needed to be developed, but that no prints could be made of it. Uh, Cooper was then given a locked pouch in order not to look inside. But guess what? Cooper did it anyway, because he's a renegade. He's a maverick. You know, he's a he's going to be he's going to get to the bottom of this. Um, he claimed that these photos were excellent quality and appeared exactly the way that Biddick and Geddes had described. Uh, Cooper expected a full investigation from the government into whatever this thing was, but nothing ever happened. Um, and until the day he died in 2004, Gordon Cooper maintained that there was a gigantic cover up of UFOs. 
Um, he also knew of hundreds of other reports that were made by other pilots, including his own in 1951 as he flew over West Germany that were never investigated. Um, he did end up testifying as part of one investigation in 1978, but then nothing was ever revealed. And so maybe, maybe there are some, uh, classified documents that can come out at some point, but, uh, Gordon Cooper, like by all accounts, totally level headed, like not crazy at all. And this dude believes something, something fishy was going on. So. That's interesting. Uh, it's, that's a, I, admittedly, like, if you remember back from the episodes in October, I was, I was pretty uh, staunchly against the belief that uh, aliens had come to Earth and were abducting people. But this one, I can fully admit, is a, is a good tally mark on the side of, meh, maybe. So, who knows? Uh, our final story here is of Robert Taylor, who was riding down a Scottish highway with his dog on November 9th, 1979, uh, when he decided to just pull over and go for a walk along a forest path. As he walked along the trees, Taylor saw a, quote, flying dome, roughly 20 feet long, hovering above the trees in the forest. Um, it was dark. The, the, the craft itself was dark, but it had you know, he could kind of tell with the light that it had like a really rough exterior and a small set of propellers that were keeping it afloat. Um, as he got closer, he was overcome by the smell of burning brakes. If you've ever like been driving down the mountains and you just smell like truckers or just inexperienced drivers who've just been holding the brake uh, and dragging their brake the entire way down, like at that, that smell. Um, he also saw like these small orbs, like similar to like sea mines that had grabbed a hold of him and had begun dragging him towards this aircraft. Um, at that point, Taylor panicked and lost consciousness and then awoke sometime later uh, in a clearing in the forest, just with absolutely nothing around him. Um, he somehow, I guess, knew like where in the forest that he was so, because he was able to walk back to his truck, but it wouldn't start. And so he just walked all the way home. Uh, when Taylor returned home hours later, he was just completely disheveled, just an absolute mess. Uh, his clothes were ripped to shreds. Uh, he was covered in mud. His wife called a doctor who just kind of placed some bandages on him on a few scrapes and sent him home. Uh, police... Uh, he had reported this to police who went with Taylor back to the site in the forest and they found ladder shaped marks uh, where Taylor said the craft had been. And then police kind of just recorded this as like criminal assault, not as an alien abduction, which I don't know, probably didn't have like codes for alien abductions. Um, when Taylor's story kind of started making the rounds, ufologists quickly jumped in and claimed that obviously that Taylor had been abducted. Um, several alien enthusiasts even actually erected a monument at the site. And many people believe that Taylor had a legitimate encounter. However, uh, skeptics conducted their own investigations at the site and quickly came up with way more logical answers. Uh, for starters, there were actually several stacks of PVC pipe in a nearby field, which could have easily accounted for the ladder shaped markings on the ground that they had found. Uh, even more, Taylor had previously been dealing with meningitis, which could uh, have sparked a random epileptic episode. 
uh, the epilepsy and the seizure would have caused like a mini stroke, which would have in turn generated that sense of strong odor that he smelled. Also, uh, like hallucinations because there was a nearby water tower that kind of had the same sort of shape as the dome that he was describing. And so he could have hallucinated and thought that it was an alien ship. Um, the most important detail here though, is that no one talks about what happened to his dog, right? Like, I, like, cause at the beginning of the story, like he's driving down this highway with his dog. I assumed that the dog got out and started walking with him. And if he did, where'd the dog go? Because the dog isn't mentioned anywhere else in the story. Otherwise, it's like, did he just leave the dog in the car and like a dick just go on a walk without him? That's bad. It's a bad owner. But I don't, yeah, I have no idea what happened to the dog, which is the most important part of that story. All right, there you go. Another round of alien stories complete. Um, yeah, like I've recorded quite a few episodes, um, just like batching them together and my voice is pretty shot. So let's just go ahead and just see what we learned today. What did we learn? Number one, George Adomski was a certified crazy person who somehow conned a bunch of people uh, to believing that he had met this alien named Orthon and that they were best friends and that he, I don't know, man, just, he was, he was a crazy person because none of that, no way any of that's true. Right. Uh, number two though, Gordon Cooper, not a crazy person, but still totally believed that, uh, he encountered UFOs on multiple occasions and that the government was covering it all up. Uh, number three, Robert Taylor, did he see have was he abducted by aliens or did he have an epileptic seizure caused by meningitis probably that one next week on our weird world it's episode number 150 we are halfway there to 200 it's just i can't believe it Because, I mean, it seems like me getting absolutely plastered for the Yahweh Ben Yahweh episode wasn't that long ago. But, I don't know, time flies when you're having fun, I guess. Um, But next week, uh, we're doing another serial killer sampler, uh, third third edition of that. Because, look, like this week, it doesn't have to be Serial Killer September to talk about serial killers. It's my show, and I can do what I want. Um, but three stories about um, some various serial killers from history. Uh, we'll look at the stories of Keith Hunter Jesperson, Tommy Lynn Sells, and Carl Panzerum. So uh, those will be horrifying and fun all at the same time, and I'm really looking forward to it. So that's going to do it. Thank you all for continuing to listen. Keep telling all of your friends and keep it weird. Looking back at me, I see 
that I never really got it right. I never stopped to think of you. I'm always wrapped up in things I cannot win. You are the antidote that gets me by something strong like a drug that gets me high. I never really wanted you to see the screwed up side of me that I keep locked inside of me so deep. It always seems to get to me. I never really wanted you to go so many things you should have known. I guess for me, there's just no hope. I never meant to be so cold. What I really meant to say is I'm sorry for the way I am. I never meant to be so cold. Never meant to be so cold. What I really meant to say is I'm sorry for the way I am. I never meant to be so cold. Never meant to be so cold.